Hello and welcome to The Man with the Iron Task, a podcast that follows me, Ben Deary, in my improbable attempts to take part in the 2021 Ironman Wales event in aid of the King's College Hospital Charity and the Great Ormond Street Hospital Charity. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the podcast. Oh, that was a little bit too chipper. Um, oh, uh, I've just got back from a 10-mile run, so I'm a little bit tired. It is the 16th of February. It's about uh, half past 10. And I've just had a quick shower and grabbed some tea. On Yeah. Managed to squeeze in 10 miles this morning. I had to, really. I, I kind of needed to make up for lost time because uh, last week was a bit of a write-off. I'll come to that in a second. Uh, that's a quite an opposite phrase to use, which, again, I'll explain in a second. Very quickly, before we get on to that, let's have a quick look at the January stats. Why not? Let's see how we did in January. January was a good month, guys. Pretty decent. Uh, given that... I was easing back into it after the Christmas period and hadn't been as active as I would have liked in the uh, sort of the close of last year. Talked about that on the last episode of the podcast, but here we go. January monthly stats. Managed to get out uh, on 21 days. So that's still a fair, there's a fair number of rest days there. But remember that, you know, there's the end of the Christmas period in there. And well, not really. Actually, I got started quite soon after New Year. But look, I'm making excuses. 21 active days, not too bad. 125 miles, which is pretty good. I'm happy with that. That's decent. That is a decent total for the month, I think. It's all running, though. It's all running, and it's all running for a very good reason. The last episode of the podcast, just after New Year, I was celebrating the fact that we were getting going again, and I was really excited, looking forward to kicking everything off again. And in typical man-with-the-iron-task fashion... No sooner had those words left my mouth than we discovered that we were all locking down again. National lockdown. The tier thing got scrapped. I was tier four anyway, down here in Kent. Um, but that all got scrapped and it became national lockdown three. And that does that's had some knock-on effects. Specifically, I can't go to the swimming pool. I cannot go. There is uh, no pool that's open near me. Uh, I could go open water swimming. I go walking down on the beach sometimes. Um, I'm near the beach. I'm not travelling a irresponsible distance. It's fairly close by to me. Uh, occasionally I'll go down there. And I will see people swimming in the sea. And I kind of think, you're mad. Um, because it's absolutely freezing. But I mean, f full respect for them. Hats off to them and all that. Some of them don't even wear wetsuits. They're just in their bathers and swimming caps swimming in the in the channel in january madness um but yeah uh i don't really fancy that to be brutally honest um i could invest in the wetsuit and in a winter wetsuit and, and and get going with that but i really would rather wait until i can get in a pool again and start open water swimming around kind of april time if possible but there we go. So no swimming and cycling. I was looking forward to going into a physical store and talking to an expert about the right kind of bike. As this situation drags on, I'm beginning to think that I need to just bite the bullet and order something online. So there may well be an episode about that in the very near future. But we might just have to pull that plaster off and get the road bike that we're going to do the Iron Man on. And of course, that in itself has been a saga. You'll remember, if you've been listening for a while, that last year I got slightly burned trying to get a cheap deal on an old decathlon. So once bitten, twice shy, fool me once, shame on you, won't get fooled again. So yeah, I'm going to be careful about that. Um, but there we are. So doing lots of running, no swimming or cycling yet. And of course, that needs to be remedied in the near future. Now, why was last week such a write-off? Well... It got very snowy and icy down here in Kent. I don't know where you are in the UK, or even if you're in the UK, but if you're in the southeast, you probably had, like I did, quite a lot of snow. Down here in particular, 
conditions got pretty perilous. We had a, a sort of sheet of black ice over much of our roads and pavements. I did go out for one run during that week on the Wednesday, and it was enough to convince me that it just wasn't worth it because I almost came off my feet about four or five times. And the prospect of falling on the ice and landing on my knee or something like that, I just didn't think it was worth the risk, to be honest with you. And in a funny way, I was sort of, my caution was proved to be uh, very wise because whilst I did stay away from the running shoes, on Thursday last week, I made the ill-advised decision that the weather was probably okay for my daughter to go to nursery. So I drove Indy to her nursery, which is about six miles away. I say I drove her, I tried to, and I came a cropper. I actually hit some some ice on an A road, not going very fast. I think I was going about 20 or even 30 miles under the speed limit, but I hit some ice and there was no way of preventing the car from trundling at an oblique angle into a hedgerow. So I did everything I could to slow down and try and change the course of the car, but at the end of the day, the collision was pretty much unavoidable. I think I did well in that it was very... It wasn't dangerous. It was very low impact. Indy barely noticed. We were all totally fine. I was a bit shaken up because obviously it's not nice to lose control of your car, but everything was absolutely fine. Apart from the front left wheel of my car, which I think I must have hit the trunk of this hedge because... I somehow managed to bend the front left axle or the the CVS joint or whatever it's called quite badly to the point where, you know, I looked at it initially and thought, oh, well, you know, that looks like it's bodywork damage. I'll get to nursery and then I'll sort it. Tried to move off. Very quickly became aware that the, 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 the wheel, the front left wheel was rubbing against the arch of the car, which is not ideal. Um, so I decided... Okay, let's pull over somewhere safe. The good thing about that is it meant that I could pull over. Uh, so I was able to get the car somewhere where it wasn't in, in the road, it wasn't in the way, and called for recovery. But in the process of doing that, and actually I, I had to move it again slightly later in the day to let somebody into a field, in the process of, of that, the, the axle finally snapped. So by the end of the day, by the time I was finally recovered, which was a, about six hours later, I was out there in the cold for a while, but about six hours later, I finally got recovered. By that point, the car couldn't turn. There was no steering because the front left wheel just didn't respond when you turn the wheel. So that axle is snapped. So I have no idea if that car is a total loss or not. I'm waiting to find out. Um, but yeah, that was my week. Anyway, the snow is melted. The ice is gone. So I've been back out there this week. And uh, yeah, as I said, managed to squeeze in 10 miles today in an effort to try and catch up on some of the lost time. This is not a podcast about my car or my exploits on the road. This is about endurance events and charity fundraising. And with that in mind, it's time, I think, finally, it's time for another interview. And it's a great one. My guest in this episode is the proud son of Sheffield, Ben Graney. Now, Ben Graney uh, is, uh, as I say, he's, he's from Sheffield. He's a friend of a friend, really. And uh, the reason why I thought it'd be interesting to sit down and talk to him is that he did something really fantastic last summer during uh, sort of, I think, the gap between lockdowns in July last year. He ran 48 miles in 48 hours. He did it uh, by, by uh, following various routes around his native Sheffield and he did it to raise money for the Sheffield branch of Mind, the mental health charity. So there were so many things that really attracted to me to this. I, I really like the idea of the fact that as well as being an endurance event, it's also obviously to raise money for a great cause. And it feels like a real celebration of his local area. So I was keen to talk to him about all of that, really, uh, which you can hear now. Ben Graney, thank you very much for agreeing to do this. Thank you for agreeing to come on. Thanks for having me. So the reason I wanted to talk to you, mate, is that you did something... I became aware of this earlier this year because our mutual friend, Joe Duggan, uh, who works for the NYT, National Youth Theatre, shout out to Joe there, he made me aware of something you, you, that you did this year to raise money for Mine Sheffield, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah? It was um, the Sheffield Mine branch... Um, 
and it was a, a running challenge that um, was 48 miles in 48 hours. We, I mean, that is extraordinary. So 48 hours, 48 miles. I mean, first things first, just from a logistical point of view. So how how did that work? How did you go about doing that? So first of all, it's a, it's a challenge that's originated in uh, America. Okay, right. And um, there's a guy called David Goggins who is, um, well, first of all, he's very American in the fact that he's got a great story. He is um, ex-Navy SEAL. Uh-huh. Uh, he's got a fascinating story about how he got into it. Uh, was sort of going through his life, not really happy with what was what was going on. Was in the um, armed forces, but was overweight. Was sort of basically a, a desk jockey, if you like. And, What's um, in the armed forces? His yeah, his so point. yeah, so I can't remember exactly which bit, but the point was he he basically had three months to turn his his physique around and uh-huh. um, <clears throat> lost, I think, something like hundred pounds, hundred fifty pounds, something ridiculous. Wow. Um, had a very distinguished career career went through um you know sort of did some tours abroad um and when he finished he was looking he was doing some training he did a lot of the cadet side of things he was um sort of one of the first african-americans to get to the level that he got to so he was he was often using the recruitment side of things mm. uh, and started it was missing the um the sort of the buzz and the camaraderie uh, and needed something to get his competitive juices going to got into ultra running right um, and uh all sort of blew up from there and, and became one of the, the best ultra runners he's just finished a 200 mile race this weekend um is that 200 miles in one just 200 miles straight in one uh, they, they have a couple of breaks but just straight um and uh i became aware of him because um he wrote a he's wrote a few books and a few different podcasts and things, but um, one in particular uh, that a friend of mine um, made me aware of that was um, basically to call, it was called Can't Hurt Me. And I definitely recommend people checking it out and and I listen to it on Audible, which is a great way because it's his, you know, he's reading it out and it's a oh, bit right. of a podcast to it as well. Um, and so it, it stemmed from there. So it's a challenge that's about, it's not just about the physical side, but it's the mental side of, of the challenge as well. So it's a four mile run every four hours. Right. So obviously there are longer runs than 48 miles, but it's the fact that you literally start at any given time. And then four hours later from the first run, you go again and you right. do it actually 48 miles in 45 hours, which I was, I felt short changed over the <laughs> Um, but you did slightly yeah. further than 48 miles, didn't you? Because I looked at your your like Strava log from that. And didn't you go, weren't you more like 49 something? Yeah, I, through very poor planning, really. It was, <laughs> um, I, I'd sort of, I, I took a lot of time planning it. Except other people I know that have done this, I know someone else who did it and they did the same four mile loop 12 times. And All I right. thought that's just going to be too boring. And I saw an opportunity to raise profile for, for Sheffield Mind. Um, and for mental health in general, I'm a big advocate in physical health being, uh, you know, really important to your mental state of mind. So I did it around Sheffield. So I did 12 different routes around Sheffield um, and incorporated different sets of people into the runs. So there was a work one, uh, my, my Sunday league football side. I did a networking one and got local businesses to join me. Um, That's so amazing. Yeah. I've got over 100 people running with me. Uh, wow, throughout. that is incredible. That's. I mean, as you're as you're describing that, I'm thinking that. I mean, obviously, it's a massive physical endurance challenge because, uh, and I want to ask you a little bit about that because some of that sounds. I mean, the idea of doing that relentlessly through 48 hours. You know, the first couple, I'm thinking maybe are not so bad, but by the time you're onto, you know, chunk number nine, ten, it must get really tough. So I want to ask you about that in a second. But just the other thing that I'm thinking, hearing you say all that, is it sounds like quite a big logistical challenge as well just in terms of planning that yeah it was and covid obviously made it even more um difficult through things like the social distancing side um but the other side i mean the the two major challenges to be honest were a sheffield is full of hills so (laughs) trying to plan appropriate routes that gave me a break from the hills was tough um, but B, it was the little things that I, I, you know, I, was, I didn't really think about. So, for example, um, 
by doing 12 different routes dotted around Sheffield, that ate into the time that I had to rest in between. To get to another play, right. Yeah. right. Yeah. So I had about three hours 20 between the time I finished one run, or probably about three hours 30 between finishing one run and starting the next. But I obviously had to get back from the one from the previous run, some sort of recovery, and then get to the next run ready and obviously eat at the same time. So it was this sort of challenges. And I was lucky because I had a lot of help in sort of dropping me off, picking me up from various places. Um, but that was the that was the challenge. And then the main the, the big one, the lack of sleep. You know, the lack of sleep was Yeah. Really- well, so <clears throat> what time of day did you start again? Remind me. So I started on Thursday at nine o'clock. Nine, um, nine, nine a.m. Uh, yeah, and then carried on through to uh, Saturday at five was my final one. Okay, so you're you're in this situation. So you, you do the first four miles, and that takes you about um, forty minutes. You're saying, but about that, yeah, long. yeah, yeah. About Something, yeah. Each run was between, I think, which sort is of pretty, the fastest run was about thirty minutes. The slowest run was about forty. Which is pretty. That's not. I mean, that is not a slow pace. I mean, it's not absolutely killing it but equally it's not a that's not a light jog that is putting a bit of gas in it isn't it yeah it was one of those things where i had to it was the early runs it was one of those things where you have to sort of manage your pace yeah whereas my natural instinct it was that thing of in one hand i wanted to get it out of the way but it was a case of managing the pace so that yeah. i had enough in the tank and also you know it wasn't a timed race so the, the whole point was I wanted to run with different people. Yeah. So the first race, for example, was run with, you know, a, a um, you know, a 50-year-old 50 landlady of my local pub who'd sponsored us, um, who'd sponsored me and put on a, an event outside is when we could have a social distancing beer garden. So she put on an event outside and we had a DJ and all very socially distanced, uh, policed fun. But, you know, I was running with her. So, you know, I, I sort of, you know, I thought, well, I, I want to make it inclusive because my I, my whole point about running is that running can be inclusive. I think people get worried about pace. They get worried about how far they can run. And one of the big things that in my Instagram and my Facebook all the way leading up to it was about encouraging people to, to go and run, you know, one mile, two mile, three miles, four miles. Hmm. Um, and so to me, it wasn't about the pace. It was about running with different people and encouraging them to run with me. It's one of the things I really like about the whole thing is that it has this sense of really including a lot of the people who are in the community that you were trying to celebrate and raise money for. Because as you say, obviously, it's the Sheffield branch of mine, so it had that kind of local thing to it anyway. Uh, The fact that you then had people, obviously, you're running around the area and you've got people that you know in the area who work in the area running with you for various legs. It's amazing. It's, It's like you managed to find a way of not just doing a... A charity fundraising event but also doing something that feels really celebratory of that community and that and that place which i just yeah love, i love it it's brilliant. i mean it was one of those things it's sort of um i was actually sat here sort of in my make makeup office if you like when i would sort of agreed because it was a friend of mine suggested i do it i said yeah why not and it was in the first lockdown when it was kind of like well why not without sort of really thinking about the gravitas of it yeah. and then it and then it sort of snowballed really and and actually, this this sort of the more it went on, the more ideas I got for it. Um, and actually, if I did it again, you know, I would make it even bigger because it uh, it really sort of captured the imagination of people. And I think, um, and say one of them, one I work in financial recruitment, and one of the runs we had, I think, twenty five different businesses represented in running with me. And so, um, it was of summer, wasn't it? It was pretty warm. Yeah, so it was middle. Of, it was the middle weekend in July. Yeah. Um, so it was um, got lucky really because until there was sort of this I think it was the Friday was yeah so the Friday was hot that was a a long day Um, but the the Saturday had sort of clouded over a little bit so um, it It wasn't unbearably hot it wasn't no no and and to be honest it was the you know the the actual four miles wasn't the problem in terms of the individual runs it was the (laughs) It was a cumulative stop-start nature of it. But. Well, this is what I want to ask about now. So I'm just trying to get my head around it. So you start off, it's nine in the morning. You do that first. Nine in the evening. Four, sorry, nine in the evening. Nine in the evening. Yeah. Got it. Right. So you start off nine in the evening. So you, oh, right. So you did the night first. Okay. Yeah. I'm trying to work out whether that would make it, I don't know. I don't know if I would find that even harder than starting off in the day. But so you, um, I mean, I guess you've got the the fact that it's not going to be too, too warm because you're running through the night. But at the same time, by the time you get onto your 
by the time you get on to like the, when the sun's coming up, I would be, I think, feeling pretty delirious by that point. Yeah. But so you do the, the first sort of chunk of four miles, which presumably that's OK. You've got the adrenaline of what you're doing. It's the first one. I yeah. mean, I, I, I'm speculating because I've never done anything quite like this or, you know, but I'm, I'm wondering if at what point did it start to did that fatigue really start to kick in? Because I'm guessing the first sort of two or three, four maybe were OK. But then there must have come a point when you were on, you know, leg number seven or leg number eight, where you were thinking, my God, I've yeah. still got so far to go and I'm knackered and, you know. Well, t- to be honest, first of all, the reason I started at that time is I worked backwards from when I thought would be a good time to finish. Finish, right. Got um, yeah. And I did it from a from purely a social aspect as opposed to <laughs> a intelligent thought process. So I, I had this great idea that I finish it, you know, I did the last one at five. Have a beer. Finished yeah. in Hillsborough Park with a load of my mates. And it was great. I had a load of people come down, but I thought, great, you know, I'll I'll crack open the beers and, <laughs> you know, it'll be, it'll be, the sun will set and, you know, I can, I can get through plenty get of Get on everyone's shoulders. Um, when the reality, which I'll come on to later on, was very different. But that's why I started at Thursday, Thursday night. Yeah. Um, and actually, the first run was the worst one okay. uh, until the, until near the end. I think actually, when it came to the Thursday, I was waiting all day to get started, and I still had some logistical stuff to sort out, um, some sponsorship stuff. So I think it was the it I, I, my body got really tense and tight, uh, right. um, and I actually I was sort of you know I was feeling it uh, in my hips, in my hamstrings, and a lot of sort of nervous energy. Um, and I remember I went to, I say the local pub, um, that put on a sort of a bit of a do outside for me. And it was, I got there at eight o'clock and I didn't realize, you know, there was, there was quite a lot of people there, sort of, you know, 30, 40 people spread out. Um, and it sort of hit me. I was like, ah, oh, what if I basically you have those thoughts, you think, oh, yeah. um, what if something goes wrong? So the first run I didn't enjoy and I found it tough. Um, but then once I got through the second and the third one, I started to enjoy it. Um, and it wasn't until uh, the Saturday, the sort of the early one Saturday. So sort of just before the Saturday 1am one, that's when I was thinking, actually, this is a, uh, I've still got another 16 miles to go and the legs were feeling a bit heavy. So it was sort of the the ninth and 10th ones were pretty tough. But then then you get to the point where, you, you know you're ticking them off so to speak so yeah it is yeah, a real undertaking though you know it's more than a marathon i've got i'm trying to you know remind myself of the fact that you're talking about it's almost two marathons isn't it and it's yeah um, it's um as you say like there must be a point where you are exhausted where your legs are really feeling it and you think when you think of the distance you've still got to cover it's going to be in double figures um yeah i think i know. think the key though is it's the same with anything in our lives isn't it in terms of you know if you take on any challenge whether it's in sport um, or work if you look at the size of the challenge and keep the size of the challenge in your head it can become daunting yeah and this challenge is actually you know it's a it's an endurance challenge but it has natural breaks so uh-huh. you know you get through four miles but then within that four miles you know and, and it's the same when I when I do long runs and, and long distance runs you break it down into manageable chunks and mm. and that's you know that's a it's a good life mantra isn't it we do yeah that it's like that um lives the box thing they talk about you know the box being the thing the the uh the the boundaries of the parameters of what you can control yeah depending on where you are in a race and, and how long it is and and uh or any event not just a race that that changes from time to time you know sometimes when you're really struggling it's the distance from this lamppost to the next one yeah sometimes when you're feeling a bit better it's like the next mile or the next four miles yeah yeah so that makes that does make perfect sense i'm just still sort of trying to get my head around i'm trying what i'm trying to do is imagine what you were doing in that event in so far as okay so you finish four miles you've done a leg yeah what do you then do so you've got as you said like three hours 20 to actually physically get somewhere because you're starting yeah. somewhere else you're also presumably as you said you've got to rest and and refueling so that's going to involve eating but also sleep like when were you sleeping did you did you find opportunities not, to sleep not very often to sleep. you just up for the whole 48 hours really i got about seven hours i think between the two days um, and I think, I mean, that's, I mean, I lost a lot of, uh, I sort of weighed myself at the start and the end just out of interest. And I think it was about 11 pounds, which oh. showed me that I got it wrong in that respect. And, and 
I'm looking at doing some big endurance events next year. And, and the, the thing I learned the most was I just didn't refuel quick enough. Right. Um, and I found it hard to eat a lot of solids and I didn't have enough energy gels and there's, there's ways around it, but you know, it's, it's one of those things where after you've just finished uh, exercise, you don't feel like eating straight away yeah. very often. Um, but the problem was then you get to, you get past the point of when it's suitable to eat because you've got, you know, you don't want to be eating 20 minutes, 30 minutes before you run again. So, um, I mean, you know, the, each run was different. And I, I say I was very fortunate because until the, the last run was the only run that I ran by myself. Right. And, so, and that was by choice. Okay. Um, so, you know, the, very often I was either sort of doing a bit of socializing with, you know, people after the event um, or, as I say, getting sort of dropped off, picked up. But it, it was lovely, you know, in, in that respect because, as I say, there was probably four, five, six of the runs were actual events, if you like, you know, where, you know, there were sort of uh, people who'd organised things for me to do sort of before and afterwards. So, um, if anything, you just sort of, the problem was you felt, a bit, I felt a bit rude almost because yeah. towards the end, I was like, I mean, not the, not the greatest company. That's the uh, thing I'm imagining myself in that situation. I'm thinking I'd just be going, this is lovely guys. Thanks for organizing this, but really I'm knackered. I, I need to, I just want to go and yeah. lie on the floor for a bit and not. Yeah. Well, my, a friend of mine had come over from Liverpool to uh, run the 1am run with me on the, right. on the Saturday morning and, and kindly he ran the, the 9pm one with me and, um, when I planned it, I was like, yeah, you know, we'll, we'll go back, we'll have a pizza, you know, we'll have a, maybe have a beer, we'll, <laughs> we'll get a bit of FIFA involved. And I was like, I was like really quiet on the way home. I was like, I've still got 20 miles left to do. Um, and uh, so I sort of, I said, look, I'm going to have to go to bed and went to bed for it, went to bed for about an hour and a half. And in the end, I was waking him up because he'd fallen, right. he was right. meant to be waking me up and he'd fallen asleep. So I nearly, <laughs> one of the runs, um, so, um, but yeah, I think it, it's, and that was part of the fun actually, in some respects. Sort of not, it was a bit in, into the unknown. Yeah. Um, but I, what was great was the, the sort of the fundraising side really kept me going. I've, I've gone quite big on the social media side, so kept updating that. And and actually, towards the end, it was overwhelming. Half the time, you know, in between runs, I was sort of answering the phone or replying to people's messages, which was great. Um, and you were interviewed as well, weren't you? Didn't you end up on? on radio a couple of times yeah yeah right yeah radio sheffield um sort of got hold of it and and wanted to put it on so and i think you know it, it was a, obviously it's a challenge that not many people have heard of which helps um but i think the other side it was it, you know the mental health side mental health's been in the has been growing and growing as a subject and an issue isn't it for uh, you know a few years now after being neglected for too long um yeah. Yeah. and i think there's been, let's be honest, there's not been too many positives to come out of this year, but mm. certainly, you know, in the first half of the year, I think that tolerance and, and sort of thought for each other's mental well-being became uh, more prevalent, really. And and I say, I think people were a lot more in tune with the idea that, you know, um, actually, yeah, it is really important that we look after our mental health and, and how physical activity can impact that. Because let's be honest, in that sort of March, April, May time, running cycling gardening whatever it was you know that was the only thing that kept a lot of people going you know from the, yeah you know, mental standpoint absolutely yeah i mean anecdotally i'm sure we all know people who who really took to exercising as a way of kind of staying uh you know balanced and in equilibrium and and i think also that was one of the few things that i remember being quite heartened by in terms of like the official response to the pandemic was that there was a sense that exercise was being considered as something that people need mm. to do. It was important. People were being encouraged to do more of it because um, people who habitually maybe don't do it because they're too busy with various things working. Now you've got all this time in the day. If you're not going to work and you've been furloughed or whatever it may be, the danger of people sort of sitting around not being physically active. I mean, for all sorts of reasons that that wouldn't have been great for people's mental health, but also in terms of, you know, physically staying fit. So, yeah, I think, I think this year, exactly as you say, has reminded, well, hopefully reminded people of the importance of looking after each other's mental health and, and being tolerant, as you say, considerate, and also how physical health is plugged into that. So how did you end up, end up at the point where you're, you're, you feel prepared to run 48 miles in 48 hours? So how much running, presumably a fair bit of running in the past, like what, what, what's your kind of history of doing these sorts of events? 
the honest answer is nothing really in terms of anything over 10 miles um, in one go, simply because of playing sport. You know, if you're playing football, it doesn't really give you a chance to, to train for marathons or right, sure. events. Um, and that was, as I say, that was one of the things with, with grassroots football and uh, golf, things like that being shut down. Um, the training was was pretty simple, really. It was just hitting the hitting the road and hitting the trails um, multiple times. And I was very fortunate because I have a good friend of mine who runs a, a physiotherapist uh, um, surgery, and, and he gave me he helped me with sort of write a training program. So the key to it was just multiple running. Actually, it was yeah. wasn't trying to do 15, 20 mile runs. It was trying to do two or three runs per day. So in a way, it sort of gave you a chance to do something a little bit different, um, the fact that this all happened. Oh, 100%. I think, and actually, it, it was interesting. So it was a really good um, sort of lesson in discipline. Mm. So, you know, in, in terms of everyone became a cyclist or a runner for a bit, didn't they, in terms of in that early lockdown, we were all on, you know, a lot of people on Strava and comparing 5K. You know, I've got a few friends, competitive like myself, so we were comparing different times, 5k times, all this, that, and the other. Um, and it was, it was the worst thing I could be doing because I was sort of trying to smash out some time runs. Um, and I was fortunate because Greg and Steve from the white house in Sheffield, you know, I remember Steve saying to me, he's like, what, what are you doing? Like, this is not good training. You know, <laughs> just going he hell for leather every time. Just trying yeah. To <laughs> yeah. It's like patting yourself on the back for, doing a really quick 10k time and then being stiff and yeah. you know, feeling it for the next two days, that's not going to help you. So yeah. it was a really good lesson in discipline training mm. um, in the weeks leading up that it was about running, not for time, you know, it was, it was sort of running within myself, but running, yeah. you know, a number of different times in a day, um, which was one of those things that was actually quite hard to do when you're used to sort of running, at your yeah, when you're used to sort of going at threshold the whole time, actually yeah. actually building stamina by holding back on that is a different thing. Yeah. Um, uh, so, okay, uh, here we go. So here's another one then. Um, what was the best moment whilst you were on the, the challenge? What was the kind of moment that you look back on? Uh, there might be more than one, but anything in particular that jumps out as being a really great moment that you'll treasure? I think... Um... There was a couple of moments. Uh, first of all, as I say, when I first sort of turned up uh, before the first run and I saw quite a few of my mates and you have that sort of irrational fear just before you're like, oh, what if no one's there? And you're a bit, <laughs> bit embarrassing. Um, and I sort of turned up and I saw... That would be really disappointing of your mates as well. He's doing what? 48, yeah. 48 miles in 48 hours? Nah, not going to bother. Yeah, yeah. Um, and uh, so that that was nice. So the, definitely the the start. But um, there was there was a couple. Um, it's hard to pinpoint one moment in some respects. Mm. It, it, it sort of seeing the amount of people keep turning up to do the runs was great for a start. You know, there was, there was I could sit here and talk about five ten different moments um, that that spring to mind. But without doubt, the the best one apart from that was running the final um the final leg if you like and I, I, by this point my head had gone uh i wasn't thinking straight i instead of asking one of my mates to come and pick up uh, a rucksack of you know of a clean set of clothes and a couple of drinks i decided that it'd be a good idea to run the final leg with a backpack on um and in the in the backpack had I had like a protein shake. I had some shoes. I had some clothes. So oh, I probably added a couple of, you know, a few kilos onto uh, onto oh. myself. And I I had this idea that this great notion that I'd do my favourite. The first two miles would be my favourite run. And my right. favourite run, again, not very bright, but my favourite run is a two mile hike uphill. Oh, mate! Over um, over Bradfield and over the peaks, um, and that was just a terrible, terrible idea. But it was running down the hill. Uh, towards Hillsborough Park uh, and I knew that I was going to complete it you know you sort of have that feeling where it doesn't matter what happens now you're going to complete it um, and my, I remember a Strava popped up and it was like four miles complete uh, and it was just that I ran into the start of, of the park where my mates were and they were unfortunately on the far side of the park 
due to bad planning, but I could hear them. So they sort of saw me running across the park and there's probably about 40 people there and they all started cheering and sort of, it was a great sound. Oh, amazing. Running next to Sheffield Wednesday Football Stadium. I'm a big Wednesday fan. Uh, <laughs> and it was great actually, because there were loads of people in the park who, there was like a, a five-side football game going on. They all turned around and started clapping. They had no idea what they were clapping for. Um, but um, I remember sort of running through and just that sort of utter sense of relief um, that it was that it was over. Um, but yeah, that that sort of moment when I sort of saw all my fa- you know friends and family and uh, running through, and I, I just sort of thought, yeah, do you know what? I've got a good set of people around me. That's amazing, mate. Flip side of that. What what was the were there any moments where you just felt ready to give up? I mean, was there did you have any sort of dark nights of the soul? <coughs> I, I think not. Um, I said the first run, I would I'd sort of picked up a bit of a I picked up a couple of niggles in the lead up to the uh, the first run, and part of it was tension injuries. And I kind of knew that, but um, the first run, the first mile of the first run, I was like. Oh my god, I've got no chance of completing this. Like my legs are starting to hurt already. Um, but I, I, as a person, I, I sort of, I, you know, I had the mantra: once you decide you're going to complete something, it makes life a lot easier. So in my head, I, I knew I was going to do 48 miles, even if I had to walk the 48 miles. So it actually became a lot easier. So I didn't really have too many doubts. The only, um, the only sort of the darkest moment was after the seventh run. Um, just got really low on fuel uh, and I'd, I'd done a, a, not a very good planned route where I'd ended up running four and a half miles instead of four miles and it was up and down hills um, and it was that realisation that I've still got 20 miles to go. Yeah. Um, but again, this is why I was, you know, I was so fortunate. I had a friend who was staying with the guy who came over from Liverpool who came over and he, he picked me up and, um, you know, but, you know, sort of, cooked me a pizza and gave me a bit of a pep talk and you know, picked me up and then he ran with me at 1am. And as Amazing. soon as that, I was, I was back on it. It's all the more impressive. If you had that that moment of almost doubt on the first leg, it's all the more impressive that you powered through and did it because, you know, that's early in a, in a challenge like that to, to have that kind of doubt creep in. But as you say, really impressive that the mental strength just kind of carried you through. Uh, you mentioned you're thinking of doing... You, or you've got plans to do more of this kind of stuff. What, what's next on the on the horizon for you then? I think a little bit will depend on uh, how the next few months go from a, a COVID point of view. Um, it's pretty difficult to book into any races at the moment or any endurance challenges. Um, and I keep saying one more year of Sunday League football. Um, so as soon as I hang my boots up... Um, you know, the, the plan is to, to sort of go big on some of the ultra trail runs. So anything sort of, you know, an ultra marathon is obviously is anything above 26 miles. I've, you know, I've got some in mind where there's a 24-hour race in Leeds where you, it's called Endure 24, where you literally just run for 24 hours and, and do as much as you can in 24 hours. Wow. Um, and then a couple of sort of the, the longer ultra marathons next year, sort of, 40, 50 miles that I'd like to do. So we'll see how it, we'll see how it goes. Um, I think it's, you know, I'm the sort of person, it's a lot easier when I've got something to to plan towards. So mm. I definitely want to, um, definitely want to sort of get something in the, um, in the diary. So I, I find that actually the running the trails and the, as opposed to road running, I find a lot more interesting and actually the distance then becomes the challenge, if you like, you know, having yeah. that sort of challenge, but as I say, I've got, you know, my, my, I do believe if you, if you stick your mind to it and if you decide before you're going to do something that you are going to complete it, it takes away the pressure. Uh-huh. You know, it takes away the pressure of actually feeling if you, you know, you're going to have doubts, but you know, you're going to complete it. Um, so yeah, looking forward to, to getting on the, um, you know, to picking something up next year. Let's talk about the charity and sort of how you ended up to, you know, why, why, why was it, um, mind in particular that you wanted to do this event for and, and just tell us a bit about sort of about them in Sheffield and your experiences with them. So I, th- I mean, it was, um, it was something that when I, I'd sort of got myself uh, back fit, I've always played a lot of sport, but mm. 
probably uh, due to sort of long injury had, had um, you know got myself unfit shall we say um, back end of last year and went through some sort of uh, you know daily personal issues if you like that we all go through in yeah. terms of um, things like relationships and uh, you know lost one of my grandparents and you know st- stuff that that I went through that you know we all go through at times through our lives mm. and um, the thing that helped get me through was I put I channeled a lot of my energies into um, into my fitness first and foremost and, and running became a big part of that so when I when the lockdown happened in March April um, I started hitting sort of the running again even harder and longer and longer and I found it was a really good release and so mm. you know working from home living alone you know that it with what was going on you know the news I found it quite difficult uh, at times like we all did and yet I'd then go out and run six seven eight miles um and feel you know I, I could I could sort of physically feel myself feel better yeah you know, I could yeah. feel the endorphin rush um so I became sort of more and more convinced that I needed to like push the, the idea that physical health can really help the mental health side of things. So when I said I'd take on the challenge, it became a, a sort of a natural progression to include it around mental health. Yeah. Um, and, a, and a sort of a friend of mine works for, for Sheffield Mind. So I'd, I knew a little bit about them, but I'll be honest, I didn't know too much about them. So I started looking into them. Um, and what struck me with is, was that even though they are the Sheffield Mind, mm. they don't actually get any funding given to them by Mind as a charity. Really? So Mind as a charity, they will give they will give grants. Yeah. They will give grants to them, but each uh, individual Mind, uh, sort of local regionalized Mind, have to apply for it, and they are competing against you know right. other, okay. other areas of Mind. So. Actually, when, you, for example, you know, if you're going to, if you're going to donate to Mind, you know, if you want to donate to Mind because of your local area, you should donate to your local Mind. To your charity. specific, right? I did, see. I had no idea about that. That was that's well, I didn't to me, yeah. So, um, so I started talking to them. They they sort of suffered. They had to furlough some some people, as as everyone did. Um, and so I thought, you know what? They, I mean, they they'd had huge amount of fundraising. Uh, events cancelled because of, of, of social distancing and the pandemic. So, yeah. um, you know, I thought they'd be a, a good, a good option. And um, yeah, I, I was sort of really happy uh, after talking. To, they, I mean, they were absolutely delighted and uh, were really, really pleased to sort of get me on board. And I think surprised actually in the end by how much I managed to raise and the profile, because you know charities. Let's be honest, you know, it's a it's a very competitive market out there. Definitely. So, and, and you know, it's funny, I sort of, I often don't ask on these things how much people have raised just because it's sort of like, you know, I don't want it to necessarily be about a number. But since you brought it up yourself and because it is bloody impressive. Um, so it was over 10 grand in the end, wasn't it, that you managed to raise? Yeah. Which is yeah. amazing. I mean, that's just incredible. And as you say, especially at a time when charities are finding it hard because their traditional fund funding pathways have just been completely screwed up by this situation that something like that i imagine is a real lifeline a real shot in the arm so i mean you know congratulations for that i mean it's incredible no, it's, cheers i think it's uh, it was one of those things where you never know how much you are going to raise um i was lucky because uh i got a lot of um a lot of help from people in terms of plugging it. And that was one of the benefits, you know, in terms of running with, so that was one of the ideas is that yeah. you know, I looked at it and thought, right, how can I, you know, that we talk about money raised, but the big thing for charities very often is, is profile and raising the profile. Mm. So I thought, right, how can I raise the profile of Sheffield mind as much as I can? Well, the obvious answer is to get more and more people doing the event um, and trying to convince people to run 48 miles with you. Is not going to be the easiest. So you know, getting them to con- convince them to run four miles, though, it, you know, is a lot different. So you know, it's great. So I had this idea that I wanted hundred people to run with me, um, and and we got you know hundred mile over hundred people, of which um, I think seventy or so were in Sheffield, seventy five in Sheffield. But what was great is they were also dotted around the world. So you know, I had a guy run virtually with me in Hong Kong. Wow. I had people Philadelphia, where I used to live, 
Um, I, had a, I had some people run uh, throughout the UK. Uh, we had some run from, um, I think we had some run from Australia. So it was all, dotted all the way around the, um, you know, sort of I think four different continents. So that was nice as well. You know, it sort of had that, that global feel to it. Um, and, you know, that sort of togetherness. Which is really nice because, uh, you know, part of the, the one of the strangest effects of this situation that we're all living through is is the feeling of isolation of being cut off. Yeah. And as you say, the effect that that can have on your mental health, which can be huge. And therefore, to do something like this, where you're actually able to forge a kind of connection as well with people on another continent. It's I mean, I, yeah, I really I think it's just such a sort of brilliantly appropriate uh fundraising thing to do at a time like this your mate ian is he's in philadelphia isn't he was he doing yeah the whole 48 hours as well yeah so he he was the he was the guy who got me into it and he, he was a good friend of mine i met him in 2009 when i i sort of first moved to philadelphia and lived over there for five years how long were you, five years right right um so he um he got me into uh well he, he sort of actually bought me the, the david goggins um autobiography right. to start with but got me into it and um he's got some various things lined up for us in the future. And, uh, he, he's, you know, he's a sort of guy who he's not, an, he's not a nasty, he would tell you he's not a natural runner. He's not a na- natural athlete. He just has an unbelievable, um, iron will, if you like. Yeah. Mental strength. <clears throat> and presumably he's worked very hard at it. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, so he, he sort of got me into it and he was interested, you know, what you're saying in terms of the, the, um, that, that sort of that togetherness and that feel. I mean, the most emotion, it's probably the most, apart from the, the last couple of runs, which were emotional, um, because the second to last was with my friends and family, like Joe and a few others. And the last one finished uh, in Hillsborough Park with all my mates there and my yeah. family there. But I ran one of the lakes with two of the councillors from Sheffield Mind. Oh, so that was absolutely fascinating. You know, listening to them was so inspiring. And, and you know, you... you you know, we were talking um, just off air before, you know, in terms of about how tough a year it's been for, you know, people job-wise and job security-wise. Mm. Um, and, and it obviously has been. But these are people who, you know, they work as counsellors of Sheffield Mind and they're only ever on temporary contracts. Yeah. So they're on contracts for uh, however long a project might last. So it might be 18 months. Now, there's a strong chance they'll have the funding uh, to, to get another contract at the end of it, but there's no guarantee. Yeah top of that they obviously don't get paid um don't get paid the, the, the most salaries that you'd you know the, the biggest salary you'd ever yeah um, i mean certainly yeah it's it, that thing of one of those jobs that you think about the value of the job and what it contributes oh. to society and then when you try and square that off against the monetary value that's been assigned to it and you think what this has gone wrong <laughs> something's well, gone the, wrong and the big thing that the the thing that really did it for me was i said how do you keep yourselves mentally in a fit state because it's what, you know, their job yeah. is to sort of keep people, you know, it's like who looks after the carers type. Well, thing. yeah, because they're, of, uh, I have a friend actually, he's training as a, a psychotherapist at the moment. And hearing about that side of it, it's really fascinating because these people are taking on without getting too sort of, without overdoing it as a metaphor, that they're sort of taking on a massive load, like a kind of oh, yeah. um, psychological and emotional load. And you think that is a, that is a lot for them to have to sort of soak up. So exactly as you say, how do they, and what was their answer to that? How, how do they sort of go about looking after themselves? Well, I think the nature of them, and they're so, just so humble, um, which, you know, you and me and you know, working in, in theatre and then sales like myself, we, we know plenty oh. of people who are, who are there to sell themselves. Oh, and mate, I've got an ego the size of a planet, mate. Yeah, yeah exactly. And, um, but that, they, they were so, um, Joe, a guy called Joe Charles and a, a lovely, um, lovely lady called Sammy who, they were sort of just saying how um, to them it was just their job. Yeah. So yeah. Th- they didn't have any sort of secret methodology of of what they did. Uh-huh. Um, they were apart from the fact that obviously they were trained. You know that was their profession. So they could they could check themselves. Uh, you know, yeah. and sort of have a checklist of, of things to keep themselves in check. And they had a, and they had really good support networks around them. And the big thing was trying to you know compartmentalize the work and the personal situation. But I just found it absolutely incredible because we all we all get stressed with work from time to time. We've all taken work home. We've all taken our work out. I'm sure on on our loved ones and our friends and our family. Um, and you know, it's sort of no one. You know, everyone's job is important to that person who's doing it. 
Um, but it really did bring into perspective when you think that these people are, you know, these people are, are trying to literally keep people from spiraling into the, the ultimate depths of despair. So yeah, yeah massive, massive shout out to, to not just them and Sheffield mine, but everybody who's working in that sector because, you know, it's, it is genuinely a job that not many people could do. I totally agree. I totally agree. I think it's it's a job that not many people could do. I think it's an incredibly hard job, and I think, as you say, one of if there are, are some good things that have come out of this strange year, one of them hopefully is that maybe we are more aware of these people and and give them more of their due. Because I mean, the number of people who need those services, I'm sure, has dramatically increased mm. over the course of last year, and and it's really great that. <clears throat> The awareness, well, it's great that people like you are doing things like this to try and build awareness of that because, um, as you say, they do an incredible job. And it's, yeah, I mean, I'm not, I couldn't do it. Absolutely not. No. Um, I would have no clue how to do what they do. And I'm incredibly grateful for them, as I'm sure, you know, lots of people are. I was just going to ask, go on, go on. No, I was just going to say, I think it's that. And I think it just goes back to what we were circling back to what we were talking about that it's the same as anything, isn't it? That the prevention. It is is always better and yeah. cheaper than the cure, and and um, and it, that's why it circled back nicely to the the sort of the running side of it, the running aspects of it. That uh, you know, Joe, for example, I, I played football with him on a on a Friday night, and he was saying that's you know it's a good release for him. Yeah, um, and it, it's that thing of you have to find a release, you know, for yeah. what's going on in the world, and it doesn't it doesn't have to be running. I think sometimes people get scared because they can only run a mile without stopping or some can only run for a couple of minutes well who cares you know run until you stop and then have a break and run again yeah um but whether it's running biking you know whatever sort of form of exercise is your is your release i think it's just really important that you know we recognize as a society how important that is um definitely and it feels like sort of as you said a while ago it does feel like over the past few years a much needed shift in that direction is happening. I mean, and also, I mean, without, without wanting to limit it or close the conversation down to particular demographics, but I do think as well for men as well, in particular, I think it's something that we're quite rightly being more switched onto than we perhaps might've been in the past. I think the, I mean, I remember it's not that long ago that I think there was still a, stigma around men being open about their feelings about their mental health struggles that there was a kind of expectation that you would just sort of hold yourself together and get on with it and thankfully that is being broken down because it doesn't help anyone in the long run no definitely i think um i think they're still there with yeah i'm sure is a lot of younger men and it's different demographics isn't it Uh, you know there's it's um that's sort of the the younger younger men in terms of sort of not wanting to admit um, weakness or show weakness, mm. you know, whether it comes from a schoolyard aspect, um, you know, sort of theory, if you like, but then also, you know, an older generation that the, the old sort of stoic, the stoic thing, yeah. you know, up, up, stiff upper lip type thing. And I, I think it's, um, you know, it's important that those of us who are comfortable sort of sharing, you know, with each other about, you know, when things aren't great or when things are, um, you know, could be better. I think it's important. You've got a responsibility. If you feel comfortable, you've got a responsibility to try and share that at times because I think, you know, not everybody feels as comfortable in, in that aspect. Um, yeah, so exactly. You can give people permission to, to find, to access that in themselves. If they see somebody else doing it and they see that it doesn't involve a loss of face or dignity or whatever it might be but it's actually a healthy thing to do then hopefully that sort of unlocks it and gives them permission to do it themselves without feeling that they're you know not not living up to some weird kind of arbitrary yeah masculinity and i, I think we, i mean I, I saw something today that i reposted on linkedin that was about um sort of different columns of of how people are getting on from being thriving um, with a sort of can, you know, I mean, I mean, a good spot to basically, you know, in crisis mode. And there was four four different columns. And um, whilst I don't think you can badge people's mental health mm. and how they're feeling, not you know, we don't all feel the same way about one thing in a column, um, in a particular column. In, in you know, we have aspects of our lives that's going well. We have aspects of our lives yeah. that 
not going well. But it was interesting looking at some of the some of the traits, if you like, of people who are struggling and, and towards the area where they may need some um, support. Um, because it was things like, you know, losing patience or a lack of interest or having a short fuse, short temper. Uh, you know, it got me thinking, especially, you know, we talk about sport. For example, how many times have we played sport with somebody, we've played football with somebody, um, and, you know, we've come off the pitch and we've said, so-and-so has been a right insert word here today. Mm. Mm. You know, you know, or in the office, someone's in a, you know, oh, so-and-so is in the mood or so-and-so's doing this and that, or oh, I've not heard from so-and-so. And we take it personally. We take yeah. it as a... Yeah as an attack on ourselves when actually really that's the wrong way around to look at it. And that's a, sort of our, our own insecurities thinking that person is annoyed or angry with us as opposed to turning it around and thinking, actually, you know, is that person acting in a way because they've got something going on? Is there something behind that? You know, yeah. can, we, can we do, you know, can we do something? Is that a warning sign that we should be looking at? Um, yeah. And I think it's interesting. I think it's something where, you know, during being a, you know, obviously the lock, the recent lockdown, and let's be frank, it's it's going to be a tough, tough winter at times. Yeah, it's yeah. you know for for everybody, and I think it's important. I suppose message I would want everyone to take away um, is is looking at your friends and looking at the people around you, and and just taking a step back when you when you lose patience with someone's behaviour or if they're acting in a certain way or they say something. You know, it's it'd be great if we could all have, have a bit more empathy, myself included, and just sort of think, actually, you know, is there a reason for this? Um, and is it a red flag? Is it something I should be aware of? And, you know, do I need to react or, or actually should I be asking if they're okay? Well, that is an amazing note <laughs> on which to end this. I think I, I don't think I can think of anything more profound that could come out of this conversation. So, yeah, I echo that entirely. And let's hope that we can find a way to do that going forward. Who's the Sunday League team? Who you play for? Play for a team called Red Myers in the Blade Super Draw League with uh, a few of the um, few of my local local mates. We were, you know, a, a COVID sob story. Actually, we were four, we'd won fourteen out of fourteen. We were on the verge no. of of uh, immortality in the Sheffield Premier, the Premier Sheffield Sunday League, um, and then COVID. Uh, Kai Bosch the season. We were awarded the league because we were only, I think technically we only needed three more points to win the league. But, but you never um, got to find out if, if you could have carried it all the way. We would have liked to have done the, oh. the Arsenal Invincibles. Yeah. Um, but um, but yeah, so I, I mean, I'm, I'm coming towards the, in sort of my early mid-30s, I'm, I'm coming towards the back end of uh, of my playing career. But it's um, it's been, it's been funny actually sort of, uh, seeing some of the younger lads that I'm actually fitter than now, which is great. They're a lot quicker than me. They can run yeah, a lot yeah, faster. But you've got that stamina but, from, yeah, it's like from this the, kind of the old dog has still got a few, few tricks up his sleeve. Absolutely. Not least of which being 48 miles in 48 hours, raising more than 10,000 pounds for mind in Sheffield, which is phenomenal effort, Ben. Absolutely amazing. Congratulations on it. I mean, I'm full of full of admiration for it, and and thank you for taking the time to talk to me about it. No worries, mate. I really appreciate you um, you having me on, and, and thanks a lot for talking. So there we go, Ben Graney raising over ten thousand pounds for the Sheffield branch of Mind. An amazing effort, I'm sure you'll agree, and a really interesting challenge. Um, 48 miles in 48 hours. If you'd like to find out a bit more about David Goggins, who is the American military veteran and ultra marathon runner that Ben mentioned there, uh, why not check out his book? It's called Can't Hurt Me. It was published in 2018 and it's sort of a memoir and a self-help book. Um, really interesting man with, you know, an incredible story who has inspired people all over the world to try this challenge. I'm not sure it's something that I'm going to be doing myself in the near future, partly because obviously I've got the Ironman to train for. And it just sounds knackering. Um, I, yeah, the idea of trying to sleep for an hour and then go out for a run again, yeah, I don't fancy that. Although, of course, exactly as, um, exactly as Ben pointed out, he actually didn't sleep that much at all. This is a theme that we'll be picking up in a later interview with another endurance athlete uh, I'll be talking to somebody else who took part in an extraordinary challenge in, a, in an episode very soon to appear 
who again, you know, contrary to my expectations, it turns out basically just didn't sleep for the duration of the challenge. A little bit of a teaser for you there. Um, but that's to come. That's to come. So I will see you uh, when next we are together. In the meantime, I'm going to be cracking on. And uh, yeah, until I am broadcasting to you again, take cares of yourself. Bye. The Man with the Iron Task is a charitable podcast in aid of King's College Hospital and Great Ormond Street Hospital for Children. To find out more, go to www.manwiththeirontask.co.uk.